This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. I've taught for over 20 years. I want people to get back in the kitchen, but I also want them to get back in the kitchen and be happy and be comfortable and learn how to cook the way we cook. You know, if you have 10 things in, in a cookie recipe, and you only have nine, you're not supposed to say, oh, I can't make it. You're supposed to look at the recipe and go, oh, I'll just use this instead. And I know it's not easy, but sometimes, you know, that's I want people to just start feeling comfortable with it. So that's sort of the premise behind how I wrote the book. This is pretty easy. There's no ingredients for like, you know, the tears of a virgin mermaid. That's Susie Durgon. And today we're playing catch up and talking all about her brand new cookbook, Just Crumbs Baked. On this episode, we're going to do things a little different and do a little chatting and then take you all into the kitchen confession kitchen to make a recipe from Susie's cookbook. I'm so excited. Welcome back, Susie. I feel like I have to say that like an Oprah. Welcome back, Susie. <laughs> you get one and you get one. <laughs> What's changed for you since we've last talked? Oh, you know, everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the only good thing is that a long time ago, my hairdresser told me that having gray hair is genetic and really doesn't have much to do with stress. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'd be like gray three times over just because, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm generally a, a busy beaver kind of person. So that's mm-hmm. just who I am. But it's the, the, the process of the cookbook and, and the not knowing of all the stuff is okay. Sweet. Wait, you mentioned cookbook. You slid in there. So what I has did. changed? I published a cookbook. Yeah, I'm, I'm an author. Woo! <laughs> 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 I know it's been a bucket list thing since like I was 20, and uh, yeah. So. so this is definitely a book close to your heart, and it is. Took a little while. It was a while in the making. Yes, a very long while in the making. It was okay. a long while in the thinking and then a long while in the making because I had like a gazillion hurdles that I had to jump over, but it's good. It's done. Gorgeous, gorgeous cookbook. Thank you. Just crumbs you. baked. A no-nonsense approach to baking with a spoonful of nostalgia and a pinch of humor. I freaking love that. <laughs> right on the cover. Thank you. Thank Why you. Why did you want to write this cookbook? You know, it's so funny because I remember in my early adulthood, listening to people that were probably my age now, like old people. And, um, <laughs> and I, I, I remember always listening to people that were sort of at a point in their life where they were close to retiring. And the conversations that really stuck out were, you know, I would have done that if I just, you know, had the time, had the money, had the whatever, whatever, whatever. When I was in culinary school, you know, like, you know, what are you going to do with this? And I used to think like, oh, I'd love to, I never wanted a restaurant, but I always wanted a little bakery, like where people would come and buy muffins because they liked me. And I'd be like Norm from Cheers and they'd be like, hey, Susie. And I'd be like, yeah, have a coffee. And um, so I remember talking to someone and she was like, oh, I would have had a bakery if, and she just used all these excuses. And for some weird reason that really connected with me because I thought, God forbid something happens to me today. I want to die happy. You know, like I don't want to be like, you know, a truck hits me and I'm dying. I'm bleeding out on the road. And I'm like, I should have gone skydiving. I can't believe I never did that. <laughs> you know, like I'm good. I've done every, and, but the book was sort of always in the back of my mind. And I think in the back of my mind, as my kids got older, cause I have three kids, you know, they went to university and now two of them are living on their own. And you know, that's what happens when you have kids. They're like, oh, mom, you know that recipe? Oh, mom, you know that recipe? And so I think like years ago, before I was even married, I thought, you know, like if I ever wrote a cookbook, I'd love it to be like all the recipes that I make that my kids like, it'll be like a, a legacy book, right? For mm-hmm, them and they'll have mm-hmm. something. And um, 
And then just over time, it morphed into something else and then into something else. And now it is what it is. Was there any one in particular or anything that was the inspiration for this particular cookbook? Um, yeah, actually, at the, at the beginning, the funny thing is, at the very beginning, I, um, gosh, six years ago, I started um, a project called the Bake It Forward Project. And it's in the book. There's a little uh, section that talks about it in the book. And it started off that I would write letters to people that meant something to me. And, and then it morphed into baking because I thought, you know, I bake. Why can't I bake? So I would find people in my life or people that someone had told me about that was either doing incredible things or you know, was going through a hard time or something and I would bake for them and drop it off. And I would post about it if it felt right. Um, not for any other reason, except just to, um, you know, show the world that like a really small act of kindness can create a ripple effect. And I, that's what I wanted was the ripple effect. And so that's when I was like, that, this is it. I'm going to write a book about Bake It Forward. It's going to be called the Bake It Forward Project. And it'll be like an amalgam of Ina Gartner means the humans of New York. Like it'll be a coffee table book that will be like stories that will be peppered with recipes. And, and um, I was like, yes, I'm going to do that. And so, of course, all the recipes were baked. I know because I have the book right in front of me. But what are the <laughs> recipes that people can expect to find in the cookbook? Um, so I tried really hard to make them um, first easy. Secondly, um, a little bit nostalgic, like some of them, I'm Italian. So some of the books, well, you, you would know because you're Italian too. Some of them are nostalgic, not because they're Italian, but nostalgic because they remind me of like when I was a kid. So they, you know, of course there's some Italian cookie recipes that reminded me of a kid, but there's also, you know, mac and cheese in there. And there's, so there's, there's just things that I think people that are, I don't know, anywhere between 30 and 60 might feel a little bit nostalgic in that way. I've made them really easy so that anybody can make them. And, um, and I've, I've offered a lot of sort of sw- uh, like change-ups in the recipe. So there's parts at the bottom of most recipes that are called crumbles. And they either give you tips on what to do with, like, let's say you have leftover macaroni and cheese. This is what you can do with it. Or it'll give you like a, an idea to change up, like change this flavor combination for this flavor combination. Or I've taught for over 20 years and I want people to get back in the kitchen, but I also want them to get back in the kitchen and be happy and be comfortable and learn how to cook the way we cook is, you know, if you have 10 things in, in a cookie recipe, you need 10 things and you only have nine, you're not supposed to say, oh, I can't make it. You're supposed to look at the recipe and go, oh, I'll just use this instead. And I know it's not easy, but sometimes, you know, that's, I want people to just start feeling comfortable with it. So that's sort of the premise behind how I wrote the book was it's pretty easy. There's no, there's no ingredients for like, you know, the tears of a virgin mermaid or anything in there that you're going to have to go find somewhere. So, What would be your favorite memory related to some of the recipes in Baked? Oh, gosh. You know what? There's so many recipes in this book. Um, that are so nostalgic because, you know, my mother was a baker, my grandmother was a baker. Um, there's a chicken and gnocchi recipe uh, in there that's really super yummy. Every time I think of gnocchi, I think of my grandmother because she would make them all and I would run the gnocchi over the fork to make the little marks on the gnocchi, that part that, you know, collects all the sauce. Mm-hmm. And um, that was my job. And I remember when she died, uh, my mother asked me if there was anything I wanted. And I said to her, could I have her pasta board? Because I remember standing next to her and I remember when she would roll the, the, the log out, like the rope to make the gnocchi, mm-hmm. her, um, her arm fat would jiggle, you know, like underneath her arm. Like the, I love that. And so I would, I would look at it and I remember, I remember 
like caressing her arm and feeling how soft, like, you know how soft old crepey skin feels? It feels like, <laughs> like tissue paper. And I remember like, I would, I would rub off with old crepey skin. Yeah. Well, that's what my arms feel like right now. It's really gross. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I would literally, say, and you know, I don't know if you remember, but like Italian children were to be seen and not heard, right? Like you just stood there. And that's why people are like, oh, you must have had great memories baking. And I'm like, are you kidding? Then we'd like dirty all the plastic covered furniture. Like you can't touch anything. You watch it. <laughs> they, they would give us a make busy project. That's right. Exactly. So she would let me help a little. But I remember um, when I was little and I would stand next to her, and she, you know, that grandmother smell? That, that, yes. that you can't describe it, but it's a grandmother smell. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's like mothballs mixed with like soap or something. I don't know. And, and hard so, candy. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and so when my kids were little, and I think I didn't even have my third yet, but they were napping. And I remember I was watching um, Biba. Remember Biba's Kitchen on TV? <gasps> yes. Yeah, I met her. Just, so did I at Villa Colombo. But back then there was no food network. There was just that mm-hmm. two Right? So she was one of the, the people that had a cooking show and she was making gnocchi. And I was like, you know what? It was like that really odd moment where the stars align and your kids have a nap at the same time. And so I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to make this now. And I remember taking the board out and putting it on the kitchen table and making it. And I smelled my grandmother. Like as I was rolling out the gnocchi, I remember smelling her. That's incredible. And when Paul, I remember he, we had gnocchi for dinner and I said, wow, he goes, these are really good. And I said, yeah, I said, because my grandmother was here. And he goes, what? And I said, yeah, I said, I smelled her. I said, I swear she was standing next to me. Like it, it had to be her. So, I mean, those feelings of, you know, nostalgia are, are, you know, and I'm getting that from people now that have the book that are baking that are like, you know, like there's a, a, um, a pineapple upside down cake that people are like, oh, like my mom used to make that. Mm-hmm. And so it's good. I feel like that's kind of bringing back memories for people. So. Oh, I love it. I do want to talk about some of the recipes in the book and I want you to walk me through one because I would love to try this in my kitchen and have you cook with me. Oh, yay. Okay. Okay. The one I have in front of me is black bean brownie bites. So this one I actually um, started making because uh, one of my good, good friends has celiac and had it before anybody knew what gluten-free was. And I remember he was getting sick and we thought he had cancer and it's like 20 years ago. And he said, oh yeah, we just found out what's wrong. And I said, what's wrong? And he goes, I'm allergic to gluten. And because there's no flour in it. And a lot of gluten-free stuff has just like gluten-free flour, which is a bit of a pet peeve for me because all gluten-free flours work differently. And so you can't just have a recipe that says gluten-free flour because your gluten-free flour will be different than my gluten-free flour. Exactly. So, so this one, the base is um, a can of black beans. So it's it's not only, it's very fudgy-like because it's um, in the texture, but they're also high in protein. So I tell the kids you can eat as many of these for breakfast as you want. I'm Mary Mamaliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Susie Duragon, and we're going to run down to the kitchen to try out the black bean brownie bites from her new cookbook, Just Crumbs Baked. Okay, let's try this out, Susie. What do we need? So these are, you can make these in a brownie in a, like a, an eight-inch square pan, if you like, but um, I usually make them in little mini muffin tins because they, they actually look like those two-bite brownies. Love it. Okay. Preheat oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Everything happens in the bowl of the food processor. So all you do is you um, have a black can of black beans, so 19 ounces, a regular can. Drain them, rinse them, and then throw them in. And you puree them like they just so that they break down a little bit. Then you can add um, melted coconut oil. You can also use melted butter, third cup melted butter. 
and then you process it again. Okay, Google, convert 398 milliliters to ounces. 398 what I'm noticing is it's not pulling it as well as it would in a food processor. And then you add um, a half a cup of sugar, granulated sugar. Um, I'm sure you can use coconut sugar or another kind of sugar that's not refined. What's that song, honey? Mm -mm 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 -mm. Sugar, sugar. Add two eggs, a half a cup of unsweetened cocoa powder, a couple of teaspoons of vanilla and a pinch of salt and you process it again. So now you just keep the processor going and it'll eventually turn into what looks like a batter because you're breaking down the skin of the beans. My favorite vanilla to use is always the Madagascar. Let's give it another whiz. Oh yeah, it's got like this, um, it's like a velvety smooth finish to yeah, it. Yeah, and then you add the chocolate chips and the walnuts and pulse one last time. And then you just literally spoon the batter evenly into all the little muffin tins and you bake them for 20 minutes and they're done. So I'm using Ghirardelli. They're semi-sweet chocolate chips for this. Ghirardelli are, their chips are phenomenal. I use them in all my baking. So what I also do is if I know that I'm not gonna use all the nuts, because they go rancid so quickly, I put them in a, in a Ziploc bag and I put them in the freezer. And what do you know? I got walnuts. I'm just gonna give it a little mix and then we're gonna spray our pan and we're ready to rock and roll. How old is that saying? Rock and roll. Okay, so what this looks like. 24 little muffin cups are filled they are not exactly flush with the pan. So they're just kind of peeking out on top. And we're gonna pop those in the oven. I think Susie said 20 minutes. Ooh, little guys, in 20 minutes. Time to clean up. Also the beauty about using the Vitamix versus a food processor. The Vitamix cleans itself. So all you have to do, give it a rinse, fill it with, fill it halfway with water, a couple of pumps of dish soap, and they have a setting on there that will rinse the Vitamix. There it is, timer's up. Get these out. Gosh, they smell incredible. I don't think I can wait for it to cool down. Taking one out. Mmm. Oh, these are so good. Chocolatey, chewy. You got the little crisp edge on the outside. And the good thing about this recipe is, um, you know when people come over, like I always think, when people visit you, it's so nice to have like a little homemade treat. And you know, sometimes it's just ice cream or whatever. But I'll, I'll take a couple of these out of the freezer 
I'll put them in the microwave and when they're warm, they get like really fudgy. So I'll just defrost them in the microwave and then I'll take like a little shot glass and like sort of break one apart, put it at the bottom of the shot glass, um, spoon like a, a strawberry jam or if you have caramel sauce in your fridge or whatever you have, and then put a scoop of ice cream on top. And mm. it's like such a great little treat for someone, just kind of a couple of bites of yummy goodness and it's just good to have them. Love it. Thank you, Susie. These are fantastic. If you're looking for them, Black Bean Brownie Bites on page <laughs> 76. Page 76, yes. I wanted to kind of dig into the publishing of it. Yes. Why did you choose to self-publish? Like, did you try to go to the traditional route first? I did. I did. And I'm going to tell you something. Okay. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. I'm, pre- I'm a pretty good analogist. Is that a word? I don't even know. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm thinking like if, if you were, if it was 1985 and you and your five closest friends went and got fair faucet haircuts, like, and then like this, like the Dal Sassoon came to your school and the five of you were sitting there and he picked like your one friend and said, your hair's magnificent. Like you'd be sitting there going, okay, what about me? What about me? Tell me, tell me. Cause mm-hmm. you're like the hair person. I want to know. So that's kind of how you feel in the world of publishing. Of course, I wanted I wanted a publisher to want to publish my book. I think it's just whether you want to use a publisher or not, it quantifies what you do, right? It, it's it, somebody out in the world says, that's a great idea. I think you should do that. And we're going to help you. And so I sent it out to a few, not a lot. And I know that's probably my fault that maybe if I would have kept sending them out, I might have gotten a bite from someone. Um, but I, you know, putting the shoe on the other foot, I, I understand because publishers, um, they take a chance sometimes with people that they're not sure of. A lot of times I think that they take chances on people and the books don't do well. Um, but I remember speaking to a publisher at one of the big publishing houses here. And I just said, like, I know that you must hear this from everybody, but I really have a great audience. I do have a good audience. And my audience, uh, I've done a lot of work with the people that follow me and they know that like I, if I don't post like some really good frugal cooking tips or hacks in the kitchen, I feel bad because I feel like I've got all these people that are here and they're waiting for me to teach them something. And, Oh, I went a whole day without teaching them anything. So I feel like we've made this connection online, me and 11,000 other people. So to me, they like there, there's, there's like a, a formula in terms of how many books you would sell to your audience. And I think it's like 2%, which would mean, you know, like I wouldn't, I've already sold 500 books and it's been less than a month. And so people, I feel like my audience are so great. Like they're so. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. And, and the thing is I, to some people out there who may have had a publisher publish their book, that's it's, it's piddlance. It's really nothing compared to what a publisher can do. Um, but I've done this completely by myself. So like where if you had a publisher, I've spoken to some friends of mine who've been published and they're like, oh, thank goodness the hard part's over. And I'm like, wait, you thought the baking was the hard part? <laughs> Sorry, no, this is the hard part. Cause I mean, like if you're, I'm a chef, I know how to bake. I know how to do recipe development. It's what I've done for a long time. But now I'm looking at warehousing and storage and shipping and inserting URLs and setting up my Amazon account and figuring out how to use a Shopify account and how do I do point of sale and what do pop-ups look like and how, how many times can you rewrite a press release because you're in the middle of a pandemic? You know, like all those things that I'm learning now that I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know how to do all these things. So Google's being my friend. For someone who is thinking of self-publishing, yes. are there any tips or advice you would give someone? Yes. So, um, you know, 
two months ago, I would have said, don't publish a book during a pandemic. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it seems like, you know, people talk about pivoting their businesses. And I'm like, I feel like I pivot every three minutes. I don't know. It's like, oh, I should do this. Oh, I should mm-hmm. do that. Oh, I should do this. I think that's the word of 2020s pivot. Oh, pivot? I know. I actually makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit every time I hear it. It's like, oh, I hate that word. Um, so, uh, but I feel like what I would say is don't give up. Um, remember what is owned by you to create traction and traffic for people to see the book. So like, for example, yeah, Instagram's great, but I don't own Instagram. Like I don't own my Instagram account. I own my website. So before, while I was waiting for all the books to be printed, I had, I think 1200 people a month would visit my blog. And with, by, I think March 20th or 30th, I had 8,200 people visiting my blog. Mm -hmm. So I just worked really hard to drive traffic back to the blog so that um, my subscription base got higher. And so, and I wanted that because, you know, hopefully when things return to semi-normal, whatever that's going to look like, and I can maybe start doing pop-ups. Now I have a a 600 email list of people, 600 people that I can email Mm -hmm. and let them know. And so I think that's the first thing I would say is, is know who your audience is and and keep them close because those are the people that are going to buy your book. Um, and you know, just start talking to people. Like, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of really smart people out there. And, and, you know, like I spoke to, um, Julie, she wrote a book called dirty food. I reached out to her because I heard that she said she'd written 11 books and this was the first time she didn't use a publisher and she'll never use a publisher again, which makes sense because if you use a publisher, they do all the work for you and they can sell a lot of books for you. But you as the publisher, as the author make like, I want to say like $3 a book, like on a $30 book, like it, or it's not, I don't even think it's that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if let's say you do your own little pop-up and you want books to sell, you have to buy your books back from the publisher at a reduced rate and then you have to sell it. So it's really hard for you to make money. And that's why they always say when you write a book, don't write it to make money because there's a good chance you're not going to make money. And, and, and where with me, now, when I sell my book on my site on Shopify, because it's linked to my website, I make, I make all the profit. So if it's a $32 book, I make $32, but I'm also $50,000 in the hole right now. So I have to sell a lot of books before I start making money. So I'd love to talk to some publisher just to find the numbers and run the numbers to say like, okay, so if you sell 10,000 books and you only make $3 a book, and you, you have an advance. So you use that money on photography and all that stuff where I had to pay for all of that. So um, I don't know how it works out in the end. I'm thinking that I might be a little bit farther ahead in terms of making a little bit more money. But, you know, in the end, it's really hard because most of the time when you run a business, you factor in your time or what your time is mm-hmm, worth. Mm-hmm. And if I did that, the book would cost like about a million dollars. Especially because we know that this book is a labor of love for you. It totally is. Okay, so we've talked about nostalgia, your book. What are you baking or cooking or something or doing right now in your kitchen? What's happening in your kitchen right now? Right at the moment, um, right at the moment, I have uh, three sinks full of uh, produce just because I, all the stuff from the garden. I have kale in one sink. I've got radishes in another sink. I've got cucumbers in another sink. So they're just sort of soaking to get all the dirt off of them. So and can I just say how jealous I am of your garden? I love it, love it, because oh. mine is a city garden. Yeah. Um, so it's growing, it's growing a little slower than yours. Oh, yeah, um, no. But it's getting there. Yeah, My babies yeah. are growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? Have you, You've done that before. You've had a garden before. I have, I have. But I, I add something new and learn something every single year. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great. It is, it is really a learning thing. Learning more than, uh, in a different way than we're used to learning, right? Because you, you just have to learn by doing, right? Yeah. For the most part, I, I have my dad who will teach me certain things that have been amazing, right? In the garden, things like, you know, like I do the eggshells underneath the tomatoes. I've done that forever. I actually told him that, but then he'll teach me other things. You know, like I grew um, cabbage. I grow a couple of cabbage every year and you have to literally wait for the snow to fall, like the first snowfall, and then it becomes sweet. But if you pick it, it's still fine, but it doesn't have that sweet cabbage taste. So yeah, you do over time and you learn what works and what doesn't work and what grows and what doesn't grow. And you know. What is your kitchen confession, Susie? Oh gosh. Um, okay. So my kitchen confession is, I'm going to tell you this. Yeah. People, and I don't know if you get this cause you're a great cook. Um, people will say, I'll never have you over to my house for dinner. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, look, what would I make for you? And I'm like, uh, pretty much anything. Like I'm, I'm, I am the farthest thing from a food snob you would ever meet. Like there are, there are people in my food world that are like, uh, pshaw. You eat Pop-Tarts? Yeah, hell yeah, I eat Pop-Tarts. I eat, 20- I eat it all. I eat, yeah, I eat mac and cheese if it's there. I'll eat anything. And I'm like, you know what? Like, don't, if I want a hot dog with sauerkraut and onions and lots of mustard on a white bun, I will have that because that's what I'm craving. I don't want to have uh, a vegan sausage on a gluten-free bun with, you know, I know I want the real stuff. Like I just want the real stuff. So yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm a homemade person. I make everything from scratch, but you know what? There's something to be said about eating what makes you happy because when you're happy and you eat what makes you happy, the chance of you staying in the kitchen and creating something else is way more likely than if you go in the kitchen and try to create something that you just kind of make the healthier version or the fast version or something of what you actually want. Oh, amen to that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you. And for this gorgeous, gorgeous cookbook, Just Crumbs Baked. That's me. So yeah, if, even if you don't love to bake, people have told me that they like just sitting and reading it, which is, makes me very, very happy. And It um, is. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And when Amazon gets their act together, it might be available on Amazon. But right now it's available on my website. So if you go to justcrumbs.ca and you look at the shop link, it's right there. It's that time. We've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew. And our music this week came from taketones.com. See you at the next episode.